what's going on? This episode sponsored by Ghostbed, and this is going to be one of the last episodes we see from Willie. I hopefully not for a long time. He's got to fly. Uh, we were just talking. We were just talking about how long he's got to fly. Uh, uh, it's too far. Like it, the the first flight is di- direct Dallas, Melbourne, seventeen and a half hours or something in a little shitty seat over the ocean. It's gonna suck. Like, do you know what your seat number is on this one? Because yeah. on the way over, it wouldn't let me select your seat. Like forty nine H or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> like uh, man, I, like it's just gonna be the worst. Like th- those long flights, oh, I get bored like thirty minutes in. Like I'm like, this is this sucks. Forty nine H, forty nine H, sitting back there in the middle, hanging yeah. out. I bet you'll get some decent food this time. So you take off at night though. So. I mean, what, what, you know what? You know what's what's the strategy? Because tomorrow morning I got to fly it out as myself, but mm. mine's only like two and a half hours. When I say I fly somewhere, that's I'm still not. That's just to get to Australia. I still need to lay over and then do domestic inside. How long Australia. is that flight though? The in, in Australia, two no, hours. No, no, no. From here to Melbourne. Oh, I have no 17, 17 and a half hours. That's the that's the flight. Like to get home is going to take me 24, 25 hours. Seventeen and a half hours. Yes, I yeah. fly into South Africa. I've done it a few times. It's shocking, but. Yeah, the strategy, what you mean for, like... Um, I can tell you what not to do. What uh, I have done in the past, what, and I never... Get really on all the bottles of wine and rock up 6 a.m. Yeah, so... Uh, I've done no, that a couple so times. I, yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. So, I, I, me, me and a buddy of mine, we flew to Africa for the very first time when I went mm. to Africa to go fish. I ended up... There was a bar right across from the terminal. We were taking out... We flew from here to Atlanta, from Atlanta all the way down, which yeah. was, like, 18-some hours, 19 hours. I don't remember what it was, 20 hours. It's like, I think it was a, the, the, at the time it was like the second longest one way flight you can take or direct. So we, we're, we're sitting there, we think, what should we do? There was a bar right across from it. I go over there and we start taking shots. Yeah. One of the dumbest things I think I've ever done on a, before getting on a flight. Cause I didn't realize it's going to be that long. I wake up, I started getting kind of, we took, I don't know, seven, eight, nine shots before we got on this flight, like really quick each, like really quick. Damn. And we're like, okay. We're going to get on this thing, and we're just going to cruise through it and sleep. Well, what I didn't really think about is I wasn't in first class. I wasn't in business class. I wasn't up in uh, business economy or business plus. Or, or no, excuse me, uh, economy plus. Yeah. I was in just regular-ass economy, just hanging back there with everybody else, just chilling, you know, in the, like a sardine, just yeah. like this. I'm, I'm going to feel that. That's what it is. But imagine this, waking up about two-ish hours deep into a flight, hungover, mm. cotton-mouthed, not knowing where you're at, you don't know where your bag's at, and you're just sitting there in the middle of this flight. And there's one guy next to you who's like a, like a like a Buddha or a Buddhist guy. He was wearing like all orange, and he was he Hell he yeah. didn't he did not like what the way I was speaking. I remember I woke up so I looked and I said, "Where the fuck was? Where the fuck? I need some fucking water." <laughs> I remember saying that he he asked me, "Please do not use that language." I was like, "Okay, okay, okay. I'm sorry. I need to know where my bag's at." <laughs> where the, Golf. What and is going continue. on? I am so jacked up right now. That was back when I was drinking a lot. I don't drink anymore like that. But I remember waking up, caught in mouth, thinking, my God, I'm never going to do that ever again. I've never done that. Yeah. I don't recommend that. So don't go take a bunch of shots and get on a 20-hour-plus flight. Uh, well, you never know. I mean, if you do, more there's still, there's still There's still options for me. There's you and Charles night. came back at the house the other day at like 4, 4 a.m. Oh, man. It was, it was, that, was, that was a brutal night. And I, I wasn't involved because I don't drink, like I said, anymore like that. Yeah, but you, yeah. you younger guys can go and just absolutely hammer down on all you want. No, not anymore. But, man, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty brutal. It was good fun. But I didn't vomit, so that's like a bonus. You didn't vomit. Yeah, you did. My huge. wife called me. She's like, 
So it's know. like uh, noon, and Willie still. You think he's still alive? I think he's good. She's always worried about your like your brain tumor. Oh yeah. It's like, yeah. do you think he's like alive back there? I said, yeah, he's fine. Just let him like let him be. It's like I just don't want to go back there when he's he's not alive. I'm like, just don't worry about him. Yeah, just leave him. Just if, let he's, him rot. if he's if he doesn't come back by the time I'm I'm coming home, then yeah, there's probably a problem. Yeah, exactly. It's all good. I don't remember what we kicked off this episode. No, nah, we're going to talk about we're just, just drinking and dry, uh, drink, drinking and driving. Sorry, no, drinking and flying, flying stories. Definitely not driving. No, nah, what we were going to talk about, I guess, is Russia's recruitment drives from, well, really Africa and Afghanistan. But I think the most relevant, at least for you and I, is Russia, and it's been evolving over the last couple of months, but recruiting Western, you know, Australian, American, whatever trained Afghanistan commandos. Uh, and ANA, sort of like Afghan National Army soldiers, and how like I can't blame these guys at all. And to be honest, I'd probably do the same bloody deal. Like, if you're one of these Afghan commandos, like your crew triple two or one of those guys who are well trained, good, like you know, good operators, you know, you your options for you and your family, like if the Taliban find you, you you're stuffed. Your family, you you're getting killed. And Russia know this. And Russia's going in and being like, hey, we'll give you... So I just had a quick look, but it's 1500 USD a month. They'll pay you, which I know for a lot of people, there might be much, but that's a lot that, like for those guys. 1500 USD a month, and you'll have um, a Russian like citizenship visa, whatever, for Russia for you and your family to come and fight in the war. And it's very easy for us, I guess, to sit in sort of an ivory tower of free countries like we live in, where we're not persecuted by whatever and judge that and it's, it's a hell of a lot harder you know if you were there you should be like maybe that's a good option like if you and your family were there and you know just because you you know were trained by the west and you and your family could die from the taliban who are going to behead you or there's an option to go fight for this war i don't know i don't know if i i judge them at all i'd probably do the same bloody thing it's a way out yeah the, the chance of you getting whacked in the war are incredibly high but if, if there's like a guarantee for your family, I don't know nothing in Russia's guaranteed, but you know, I'd be I'd be rolling them dice and just going AWOL. Well, the, the, uh, <laughs> the most the most the most uh, effective one though is going to be Wagner, yeah. Because what you had said prior to the episode, what made you kick this thing off was the fact that the men, I guess, I mean, if they're in jail, they only have like a couple options in life: sit there and stare at a wall and be made fun of by everybody inside of the the I guess you say the guards for not actually going and fighting mm-hmm. are just treated like complete yeah. or they can go and fight they get their freedom after a certain amount of time and they get paid and the Russians governmentized they actually like it because either way they're having to pay for these people to be incarcerated yeah, exactly. and or just fighting and they'd rather have bodies to throw at the fight for yeah, no abs- ex- yeah for no exactly reason. it's a if you look at the economy of jail it's really not good you're locking someone up and I know jails in America privatized and that's a whole bloody thing but Say in Australia, if you lock you up, if I murder someone now and I get locked up the rest of my life, I don't pay tax for the rest of my life, but I'm going to take hundreds of thousands of dollars a year of taxpayers' money. And the system in Russia is no no different, a lot cheaper, because I guess the, the conditions in the prisons and the gulags are going to be a little bit different. But at the same time, it is not... You don't want people in jail. It costs a lot of money to the average citizen. And this is a really good you know, way to get bodies on the front line of these guys is Wagner Group going and yeah we'll recruit these prisoners and if you're in for life why wouldn't you go and do this and and a lot of these prisoners if they're you know hardened criminals well 
they're probably not adverse to this war. They're, they're probably more like, yeah, yeah, let's go get it. And, you know, these prisoners there, you recruit them out and you promise them your freedom. Like if you're in jail for life and America offered you, you know, a, a way of freedom to go and fight for your country, because this is still their country at the end of the day, you know, most people are probably do it. And it is, you know, Russia's getting what they need. They need bodies on the front line. They need men on the front line. And, you know, they need money. And they're saving money by not having these guys incarcerated. And out from there. So, so Wagner Group, it's a, a clever strategy. It wouldn't fly many places in the world, you know, that trade. But it's it's part of it. But Ukraine's releasing an, in all these numbers, you know, take with a grain of salt. But they're saying that 80% of those um, members in Wagner Group who have been taken uh, from jails have actually been killed. That's what that's what Ukraine is saying. So it could be 40%. But either way, there is a high um, attrition rate of guys who have been recruited from jail in Russia who have been killed in Wagner Group. So, so they just took... Solidar here a couple of days ago, okay, yep. and that was basically just coming on. It was, I mean, the Wagner's that's pretty much it. They also took Salil, yep, I think that's how you say it. it's another chunk of Solidar essentially, it's a small, small area just north, north of there. Now, I'm going to tell you guys right now. So, it took we'll say, we'll say this is kind of a it's almost like a meme, by the way. Mm-hmm. So, Solidar's population before the war kicked off was 10,000. Yeah, how many men did the Russians lose? To take a town of ten thousand, that oh. ended up being demolished anyway. At least one to one. That's, well, I, mean, I was going to say upwards of twenty thousand over the, the course yeah, of right. two months. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know any. I don't any think anybody can know that. But what yeah. they're saying, a town of ten thousand, mm-hmm. they lost a, a town of, or they lost ten thousand plus men to take a town of that size. Yeah, that's almost that's almost a meme if yeah, you think that, about it like that. That is, that yeah. is almost a meme in itself. And this is this is, but this is coming from the Wagners, and they don't really give it. They don't really care at all. Imagine being Putin, though. Seriously, sitting inside of his little, whatever he says, ivory tower. Mm. Imagine being him. He, how many, how many f- do you not have to give about life or just humans in general, but, just to say, just keep going. But that's the beauty of using like military contractors like this. Is it's not. It doesn't go into your country's casualty figures. That's a good guns point. Higher, so God day, bless. That is a good point. Putin I never thought about. I never Putin, thought about that. Yeah, Putin's not losing soldiers. No, uh, I uh, I should know, but the the guy who owns Wagner Group. Um, his name slips my mind, but he's lost people that work for him. He's lost some employees, so he doesn't have to pay them. But Putin's lost nothing. The the Russian industrial complex doesn't matter. So it's not reported figures, and this is the same thing we've seen in many wars with Russia involved in, let's say Syria as well, uh, and Africa, where Wagner Group have been working uh, over the last well, long time. Those casualty figures don't go into the figures of Russia, so it. it it, you know, it, it doesn't turn back on the, those figures in the UN, in the Hague, and whatever. So, so it is. You know, there, there is. It depends how you want to look at war. If you if you don't care about humanitarian stuff, using troops like this is, you know, it is efficient in many ways. Um, they're, they're calling them the musicians because um, Richard Wagner, who was a composer in the eighteen hundred early eighteen hundreds to late eighteen hundreds, the funny fact about that is he's actually Hitler's favorite composer. Really? Yeah. Apparently, Hitler's favorite composer was Richard Wagner, which you know it doesn't. That doesn't anything. matter. But that's really. Strange. It doesn't mean anything. It's just yeah. a fun fact. That's really weird. But the weirdest thing is because Wagner in Bakhmut are going up against the uh, one of the Western sort of military contractors, Mozart Group. So you've got Mozart v Wagner. That's really weird. Yeah. 
So you're all, all just no oh god musicians. I would have never thought that. You, you just you just made me start thinking about something. All the the random proxy wars over the last thirty years. I'm say forty years actually, thirty forty years between Russia and uh, I guess United States, Syria being one of the biggest ones here recently. Vietnam this, as well. Viet, well, there's so many uh, Afghanistan, <laughs> yeah. uh, Vietnam. I guess we can go back even fast forty years. Mm. Pretty much since our parents have been alive. Yeah. Essentially, I wouldn't even say grandparents. Grandparents would take us back to World War II, but we're talking about our parents. Which, ironically enough, if if we weren't fighting the the Nazis in in World War II, we probably would have been fighting the Soviets. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, let's be and for World War II, to be honest, at that at that point in time, I'm glad we weren't fighting the Soviets. Mm, I, we might have got we might have got tailed up. <laughs> I, I don't know but, um, the amount of stuff that we actually gave to the Soviets. They yeah. now just paid us off. Yeah. The lend the whole lend the same thing with Ukraine. Ukraine's pretty much going to be paying us back until the end of eternity. Well, well, this this is an an interesting thing about this war, and all your comments are going to jump on me and go, "Oh, Willie's a." I'm excited to hear this. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Well, this isn't. I should say this isn't. I don't take credit for this theory. It's a friend of mine's theory. He said, and this was actually early in the war. He actually said Russia has won the war, and I'm like, how? Like this this is when I was in Ukraine. There's all these offensives, whatever, and he's like, the whole the purpose of what Russia wanted is either to have Ukraine or Ukraine cease to exist in a in a way that could ever threaten Russia. And I was like, right. And he said to me that, the, so what Russia's done is they've come in, they've done close to, I, th- I think the damage to Ukrainian infrastructure as a whole, roads, houses, whatever, is like $1.1 to $1.3 trillion, something in that ballpark, like massive, massive figure. I'm going to look it up. Ukraine's GDP pre-war, I believe, was $110 billion. And he, what he was saying was, Russia don't need to win the war as far as, you know, bloody red, white and blue flag, whatever it is, in the ground at Lviv. They don't need to do that. They just need to destroy the country, destroy their economy, destroy their people, and any existing threat that was there is now gone. That that was his, his theory. And, and the um, Lend-Lease program buys into, I guess, that theory about you know, the, the debt that Ukraine is going to be in, whether we waive it, whether we do whatever, it's going to be just absolutely insane. So so that was his theory, and it just stuck with me because I think, oh, if, if if your whole goal was to just genocide, I think, and I'm, I'm going to be probably talking my ass here, but genocide, I guess, I would say comes in two forms. You've got the form of killing every person of that race, which is the, you know... Um, real definition of genocide but then you could also have i guess a genocide where that country just doesn't exist anymore it's just you just don't have it and and i guess if they can just plummet this into so much debt so much misery that it gets absorbed up into somewhere else or i don't know how that looks um because it can't happen like that in europe well in that area like poland can't afford that to happen neither can the eu but that was his theory about that russia's actually more on their way to completing their mission than some people would think. Militarily, no. Economically, well, the, by f- collapsing their financial status, somewhat. As of December of this last year, just a little over a month ago, you're talking about, it says the estimated cost, this is a huge number, by the way. What'd you say? I said over a trillion. Oh, okay. No, it's not at a, it's not at a trillion. It's roughly $750 billion. Right. So. Well, either way. Like, e- either way, you're talking. I okay. guess it could be a trillion now. Well, let, let's, know, let's, let's put this in, for example. So can you look up what's uh, Ukraine's GDP? Yeah. I think right. it's 110 billion, well, the pre-war at least. Ukraine's GDP is 200, 200, 200, billion, billion. 200 billion right now. Right. It's actually gone up significantly since 
the beginning of the war. Uh, well, yeah, that that go like twenty. 2015, it was 100 billion. Right. So that's probably more the, the numbers in the war. Because you could also say that Russia's well, GDP pre, has I gone mean, up. Pre war, it was, it was, it was, I mean, no, pre, pre, pre 2015, so pre 2014, you should say. Yeah. It was sitting at 200 billion. All right. So like, let's even take 200 billion. And let's say by the end of the war, just for math's sake, let's say it's a trillion dollars worth of damage. Mm-hmm. 200 billion. So at the end of the day, you can't just spend your whole GDP rebuilding your country with inflation, with whatever. That, that loan. Well, equivalent like to rebuild, that could be 30, 40 years. You add in, I think Ukraine's inflation now is something like 20, 30, 40%. Like it's got a huge inflation. If you look at the graph of um, the Ukrainian Grivna, which is their their dollar, you can just see massive plummets in that. You know, occasionally when the 24th happened, it plummeted and then it plummeted again um, maybe three and a half, four months ago. So, of course, what their money is being worth less, their GDP... Although currently it may be up because there's a lot of money being a lot of money being funneled into Ukraine, but when when that money stops being funneled in, we'll see a realistic figure of what it is, and it, if it, if it halves, I believe that would still be a good result for Ukraine. Like if you can have an all-out war for a year and only lose half of your ability for a few years to make things produce things, that's probably a pretty good result. Losing a lot of your ports or whatever, all but one major port. Um, so. At the end of the day, that, that that was the theory behind it. Talking about GDP, it's actually really not that impressive. Because, I mean, I've, I've spent some time in Mexico. Mm. Okay. Mexico, it's pretty in certain areas, but most of it's funneled or yeah. funds or tourism and stuff like that. Mexico GDP is 15th in the world and Russia's 11th. Yeah. I mean, I know you're, 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 well, you guys. What's Australia? Like 6th or 13th? 13th? Yeah. Oh, France <laughs> is 7th. But, I mean, I look at a lot of these countries that are up there. A lot of them are all funneled by France, yeah. Italy, and Mexico mm. on this list are going to be, for the most part, it's going to be mainly tourism. Yeah. Like 100% yeah. a lot of the money that's coming is going to be tourism. The United States, I didn't realize how big the United States was when it compared what to What are like you, 20 GDP. trillion or something? It's yeah. ridiculous. Tw- tw- no, 20 trillion is GDP, but you're looking at number two is going to be China, and then yeah. number three is Japan. Japan is... Four times smaller mm. GDP than us, and they're yeah. sitting in third. And Japan is plummeting currently as well. Yeah. It's kind of nuts. Yeah. Their GDP growth over the last year has been 1.7. And, and, you know, everyone knows here that I like to go on a tangent. One thing I want to bring up, too, is a lot of people might go, well, why is the Russian ruble being worth more and more and more? Do you know why that's why the Russian ruble's worth more now? Probably it's backed by gold and silver or something. No, it's, it's, it's sort of artificially inflated by the Russian government, more so due to if you hold any foreign currency, so say I give you $100, like in Australian dollars, in Russia, if you hold that for more than a certain period of time now without converting that into rubles, that's illegal. So, of course, a lot of these Russian oligarchs, a lot of, a lot of people in, like Europe is very different to Australia or America where we have our dollar and, you know, we don't really go in and out of different currencies very often. Where in Europe, you're in and out of different currency zones all the time. You're in Swiss francs, you're in euros, you're in pounds, you're doing, you know, you're in grivnas. So a lot of people in Russia hold separate currencies, especially Russian businesses will hold euros, you know, francs, whatever. And what they've become illegal now to hold foreign currency. So if you're a Russian oligarch with a billion US dollars, you have to convert that full amount into rubles. So it's artificially inflated supply and demand. The ruble. So people are saying the ruble is going stronger than it ever has. Is sort of incorrect. It, there's a supply and demand for it, but eventually it will um, level out. There's a massive plummet 
after 24th of Feb, you can see that ruble plummet, but then it's regrown fairly quick. And that's been the exact same with um, uh, the Gazprom pipeline. That's the main gas supply to Europe, Russian company. They've turned... And, and it, with everything, the way you word it, the way you look at it, the way you pull statistics, can prove your point without it being true, if that makes sense. So like Gazprom will say, we had the best quarter four we've ever had. And they'll say, and, and they'll say that and the ruble is super strong. Well, one of the things they've done is Gazprom now only accept payment from Germany and all the countries in Germany's the big one, but Germany, France, whatever, of gas. They only accept payment now in rubles. So at some point, these countries are buying rubles to then. Yeah, but I don't think I don't think so. That creates supply even, and demand. Germany's not even taking fuel from them anymore or gas. I saw uh, something this morning. No, there'd still be a lot. I, I don't think that's been switched off. All, all the gas in Ukraine is Russian still. This is a fun fact. But even then, the conversion into rubles has artificially inflated the value, um, short term at least. I saw something this morning that said that, that legitimately, I kind of want to pop it up, that, that said that mm-hmm. they weren't even pulling, the Germans are pulling zero, zero gas from Russia now. If Germany's pulling zero gas from Russia, that's a big deal. Yeah, Germany's filled up its storage facilities. Yeah, so t- look at this thing. Watch this thing as it changes. It's pretty nuts. As it changes, you can tell the, the dates and stuff, which at September. Yeah. But watch, it just absolutely just starts flipping. That, that's what I was talking about. So in yeah. the, the, amount of, the amount of money that Germany is actually spending on Russian fuel or gas mm. and natural gas, look how much is about to be. This is March and April. Yeah. And then somehow, I don't know where they got it from. Look at that. Well, there's, there's two parts of it too, though, is not only are they you know, now not buying, well, they're, le- they're using a lot less of it too because there's less of it. It's way more expensive now. Like the gas is way more expensive in Europe than it ever has been. You see a lot of people complaining about the price of it. So they're using less, I guess, it's because it's more expensive so they, they can uh, decrease the reliance on it. So as you guys do know, there's nothing better than getting a great night's sleep. And you want one that's designed specifically just for you guys and your sleeping style, and this can really actually help. That's why I'm excited to partner with Ghostbed. Ghostbed is a family-owned business that's been designing mattresses and other sleep products for more than two decades. They know that sleep is personal and mattress shopping can be overwhelming. Ghostbed takes the guesswork out of the equation with one of their online mattress quizzes. All you got to do is answer a few questions about your lifestyle, your sleeping style, and they'll recommend the night Ghostbed mattress for you. You want the right one? They're going to send it off to you guys. You guys get a 101-night sleep trial with free returns for added peace of mind. And shipping is fast and free. Plus, all Ghostbed mattresses are probably made in the United States of America. And for a limited time, you guys can actually get 30% off a Ghostbed mattresses plus two free pillows. Or you guys can get 40% off when you guys bundle a mattress with the award-winning adjustable base. All you got to do is use promo code Rob at GhostBed.com forward slash Rob and take advantage of this offer. It'll be linked at the very top of the description. All you do is click on it, go take the quiz, and you guys can find the right bed for you, the right mattress for you from ghostbed.com forward slash Rob. Use promo code Rob at checkout to save a bunch of cashola and to support this channel, the company that supports us by uh, hey, helping us out here. So thank you so much to ghostbed.com for sponsoring this episode. So here's a question that we've, we've brought up multiple times since we've been, I guess, making these videos together for the past week or so, or these episodes is the possible thing that's going to be happening in springtime, which we know it's going to be happening. We, we actually said this, I think it was either the episode before or maybe the one before that. We talked about the Belarusians and the Russians are now starting their military exercises on the border of Ukraine once again. Mm. Uh, it's not. We, we, you also brought up a very good point. There's no need to be doing these kind of exercises if you're in the middle of a war. Why don't you just actually just do it and then just go into the war? You're, I mean, 
What are we, we're not playing Call of Duty here. Just go in and actually do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. The question I have is the possibility of it actually coming from Belarus is fairly high. Coming, yeah. coming in. And we're talking about, I'm going to say March. I don't know. I, I just say March because February seems like a pretty bad time since we know what happened last time. But then March doesn't seem very good either because then everything's going to get kind of sloppy. It starts warming up again. Yeah, yeah. so everything's going to be kind of sloppy. So do you do April or do you do... Do you say, screw it? Because the thing that they're talking about is February 1st is going to be ending. So February, do you just roll in when it's hard, cold, wet? Or do you just say, no, this is a feint to try to draw some more troops out of Bakhmut? But if they were to come in, what are the likelihood of them actually making it to, to Kiev? Like, what, what rea- rea- reality is that? That is, that, is, that is a question most people are going to ask. Mm. I myself think it's slim to none. I think it's very slim. I don't, I don't, I don't know. It depends what we call making it to Kiev. Like... Well, last time you, you, know, you make, could say they made it, it to Kiev. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You could so say they, you they make made it, it within fifteen kilometers of Kiev. Ten kilometers. You're on the outer outskirts of it. I, I think the, the chances of getting to somewhere like that might be fairly high. Are they going to get past those defense positions that have been in place since um, February, March last year? I think the likelihood is is slim. I don't think it's none. I think. So, uh, what is the point? Well, well, the point could be to just draw troops off the front. No, what I'm saying, if they have no chance of taking, because the thing is, they keep talking about taking all of Ukraine. When I look at a map of Ukraine right now, it is so huge. It's a, it's a, it's very, a very, very big country. Very, yeah. very large. Not a very small space whatsoever. If they're not able to even take the chunk that they're in right now, which we've been talking about, it feels like for months, Bakhmut in this whole area, mm. what, what, what makes you think or makes anybody think that they have even a chance of, of reaching Dnipro? Or even Paltova or Kiev, like all the, looking all the way through this map right here. There's no way. Like I, I, I me personally looking at this, I couldn't even take Kharkiv. Yeah. All this time ago. Yeah. So. Well, it, it's gonna. It's it's. It, we'll see, I guess, in the future. But the I think the odds of a offensive from the north, I would say, are more than likely. And I, I would almost, if I was a betting man, I would say that almost. I'd say definitely they're going to start. Um, an assault from the... Well, then what is Hearston done? Hearston done too? They're going to write that uh, off Hearston right is so difficult. In, in, if you look at the, the how the ground sits there, with the, the Dnipro River, a fairly wide river, bridges gone, whatever, to try and supply stuff on the other side of that river is so difficult. Then we would have to focus on Zaporizhia. Zapor- I, so I'm very, very surprised Zaporizhia hasn't had more. So when I was working there a lot in um, May, June time, there's a place just to the um, southeast of Zaporizhia called Orokiv. Orokiv, I thought was going to be. I'm looking at it right now. Was yeah. going to be like the back was the next back. What well, was the fir- that's what I thought was going to be the first one of that. When I was there, um, and I've got a video on my, my channel being there. It was constant artillery. I was there. Seven rockets came in when I was in the city, um, and the Russians at that time were one kilometer from the city center. So we're talking to a doctor. Uh, at the military hospital there. And he was like, those train tracks, do not go on the other side of those train tracks. And a guy took us down the train tracks and they were rigged up to blow and whatever. But they were right there, like right on that. And we, at the time, I would have said, Russia will have this in weeks. They moved very quickly to here and then haven't really moved. And then more recently when I was over there last time and you, you drive from Orokiv to Zaporizhia, it's so close, man. That, that front line is so close, it's insane. Um and, you know, that is a very, I guess, tactical lo- location to get because it sits right on that, like, big basin of water as well. It's a big dam in Zaporizhia too um, because there was fears that 
there could be saboteurs against that dam that if uh, Ukraine was to start losing that area uh, and, you know, their civilians are out, their soldiers are out, they could rig the dam to blow and that would, like, flood Russia's advance. Now, that's just speculation. I have nothing to actually back that up. But that was um, one, one of the things said, you know, around talking to people. So, but I, I think the, the offensive from the north, I, I think, has to happen to draw troops off the east for Russia. Like, if Russia want more of the East, you know, they, they want the Donetsk blast. Like, it, it, well, they've already done a referendum in, in Donetsk. They've done the referendum. Now, of course, the results of that, well, you know. Um, but they've held a referendum in a oblast, like a state, uh, well, a region, I should say, that not they don't hold all the parts of that, which is interesting. Like, Kramatorsk there, which is still completely under Ukrainian control, whatever but in that oblast, is subject to, in, in Russia's mind, subject to their referendum. So it's sort of BS, but of course they want that oblast. They want that. Um, so what, what I believe, if they need to make ground there, they need to pull some Ukrainians off the front line. They need to get some soldiers away. Um, and, you know, well, we'll use some of our assets with Belarus to draw forces. You know? and, and it did work. It worked for Russia when their initial invasion... Um, on Kiev, well, they took a lot of ground in the east very quickly because there was a lot of forces tied up in the north. So it, it could work as a feint. They can go in. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I think they're going to go for another big hit out. You're talking about the Russians or Ukrainians? Because I still think the Ukrainians are going to want to put a lot of effort into the southern side of the country at some point. Oh, sorry. So, well, the, the Ukrainians, we have to see Ukrainian offensives. If, if Ukraine is saying we will not have any ceasefires, any deals, any anything until our 2014 or pre-14 border is in place, then we have to see massive offensives everywhere. Um, and we have to see offensives all the way down through Mariupol and then offensives eventually, I guess, through Crimea. If that happens, I think that I think the Crimean offensive is incredibly unlikely, but... I think I think the the first offensive we'll see is a is a Belarusian Russian offensive. That's what we'll see first, and then counter offensives from there across the front. So if you don't think the crime, you're talking about taking all of Crimea, is what you're, you're saying? Yeah, yeah, I think I think uh, I, I think that is you know for Ukraine's sake that'd be fantastic. But I think they've had nine years to dig in this. They've got their own bases there. They've got a land bridge. They've got the navy. They've got a lot. I, I think. I think the risk v reward of Crimea. I agree, it's Ukrainian land, but I think if they if they capture everything up to there, it'd be interesting to see where the West would then push on Ukraine to make deals. Crimea is a very very hard place um, tactically to take. So if you look at where it connects to Ukraine, there's like a land bridge there. No, I, I know That's the one way in and out. So you've either you've either got a paratroop in, which you can't do. You either. But what if they just took out the bridge? Well, but if they're wanting to take it, no. But what I'm I'm talking about the one oh, that connects them to Russia. Oh, sorry. Yes. Well, they can, but you've got to deal with what's still there, and they've got their full navy. Then Ukraine is going to be bottlenecked coming into Crimea. There's that one where it connects to yeah, there's only Ukraine. One area. But what I'm there's, saying is, there's, it's a very difficult, very difficult place. But I would have said the same thing. I would have said realistically, I think you know earlier in the war when I was in Kharkiv and it was you know almost fully surrounded that the it could be a counteroffensive pushing out. No, as well. So I mean, I've been wrong multiple times on things like that, but 
Crimea is difficult, and then you run into a lot of um, other problems in Crimea. You know, there's Russian air bases there, there's Russian Navy there, but then there's also a lot of Russian civilians there. So when Russia took or annexed Crimea, they moved in. It's something in the vicinity of a million very pro-Russian nationalist civilians there. So then you're dealing with that. Ukraine has majority fought in regions of absolute pro-Ukrainian people. Yes, there's... Um, there's pro-Russians in the areas and they have given away positions and whatever. But Crimea, different story. Very different story. You know, they, they, Russia moved in in the vicinity of a million, like, very nationalist Russians there. So that is a whole other thing to the basket of problems of taking Crimea. But that is, that is you know, very clear. Zelensky and, you know, the political powers to be, that is very clear that that is their end goal. But I, I think Crimea could be... I think it's going to be the deciding factor in this war because I think Ukraine has the ability to pull back a lot or have a lot of counteroffensives. But what, you know, what could happen is could you bite off more than you can chew and then have a big offensive somewhere else and not have the people for it? Because if you're taking Crimea, you need all out. You need everything to do that. You know, they've been dug in for almost a decade you know they've been taking for a long time. There's a lot of assets. There's not many ways to attack it. It's going to be a it's going to be a heavy price to pay because you're on the offensive. So you're going to be taking the big the big losses, the big moves. Well, that that could be said all the way across the the border since 2014, though. Yeah, yeah, and that's why we haven't seen we haven't seen Russia move in in the Donetsk sort of New York. Um, that's what area. I'm talking about. Ru- Russia's had very little gain. That's in, what I'm saying. Like, even even, even the Ukrainian side of thing, if you look at it from pre-February of 20, uh, just last year, 22, Two, yeah. then you're looking at, then they, then that'd be the same, same, same thing could be said there. Yeah, but they're going to they're gonna have to then take like Donetsk again, which well, Russia's had no success there because of how dug in the Ukrainians are and vice versa. So it, it's those areas uh, that are obviously very defendable. It's going to be very difficult. And I don't know if the juice is worth the squeeze on Crimea. Like I get, I get the ideas behind it. I completely sympathise. If that happened in, in my country, I'd be thinking the exact same. But what I think people need to be careful of, if I was if I was a politician, if I was doing this, was how costly is this going to be? Because what you don't want to do is have it very costly and then lose everything you've had. But that's just that's just my absolute speculation on it. But when we're talking, and that that's. That's at least six, 12 months away, minimum, if we're like minimum. You know, you were look, if you look at the actual pace of offensives and offensive, however, whether it be Russian or Ukrainian, Bakhmut's not taken and they've been there six months. You know, Solidar was just taken and that took four, five, six months. You know, it, it's, it's going to be slow everywhere. So, you know, the war of attrition, we'll see where that goes. Maybe it'll be really quick. Maybe that, you know, the West will pump in stuff and then, you know, Ukraine will start really tailing up the Russians. We don't know. Um, well, yeah. the Russians, if they're not successful come this next time up in the north, I pretty much, I would like to say the war is pretty much getting close to an end at some point. If they if they do two major offensives in one area mm. and they have no success, little to no success. Yeah. I mean, but, zero but, success right now. But there's been so many people say this, and you read the headlines, you read the YouTube titles about, like, you know, Russia's last hope and, you know, oh, this is a death blow to Russia. And it hasn't been. Like... 
Oh, in certain in certain cases, yeah, it has. I mean, look at the northern side of the country from Harkey. Oh, oh yeah, they lost from, from but, but has it. But has it collapsed their entire emphasis of, of what they are trying to dig in? Kind of. It's taken a three-day war and turned it into over a oh, year. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm not saying it hasn't gone to shit for them. I'm not saying it hasn't gone poorly. But we haven't seen this retreat to toweling up, you know, pushing back to the borders yet. And, and then we've got a whole other problem of, well, the border, even if you're back at the border... Russia's still there. Like when I was in Kharkiv, like, Charles has been there with me. The, the, the border to Russia is like 25 kilometres away. Like it's unbelievably close. So we don't know. And if, if Russia just don't want Ukraine to join NATO, well, one of the parts of NATO is you can't have a border dispute. And that's, that's difficult. So if, you know, at some point Ukraine with their, you know, um, wants eventually to join NATO and the EU, you, you can, you're going to have to, um, you need to have no border dispute. So I guess there's two ways of doing this. They have to win back all their land um, and, and you know, it's Ukraine's land on the map. They have to win that back and then seek, you know, entry into NATO or, you know, they, there may be a case where, okay, this pocket of land, whether it be Crimea, whether it be whatever, we talk about border disputes. to give up a border dispute. They, the, the way they can get away from a border dispute as well is they do take back all the chunks and then they make an agreement with Russia and then at that point, now there's not going to be any more border. No, that's what I'm meaning. Yeah, yeah. It's some, you have to, yeah, there may be, if you can't take back to that line in the sand, you're going to have to make an agreement with Russia. But then is Russia ever going to want to make the agreement because then they know that they'll be accepted into NATO? No. Man, mate, Putin, Putin tried to join NATO. 2004, Putin, Russia, tried to um, join NATO. And a lot of people say it's the one of the worst decisions that um, NATO ever made was rejecting his offer. I it's actually answer. something I didn't even know. Hmm. Puto tried. Uh, Puto. Believe, <laughs> I believe two thousand and four. Putin tried to join Russia. Join NATO during a series of interviews. Told him that he floated the possibility of Russia hmm. joining NATO to President Bill Clinton when he visited Moscow in two thousand. Two thousand, right? And he floated the idea. I don't think he ever tried well, I th- to join I think it, like if, a I think if, if Russia float the idea of joining an alliance which was formed, realistically formed to defeat them or to protect from them, I think that's a pretty big... Yeah, it may not have been as formal, but you floated the idea of it. A, lo- a lot of people would speculate that that was one of the... Because wor- we would have had more control. We would have had, I guess, a lot more peace across Europe and then Russia's such a big landmass. You're talking Europe. Middle East, Asia. So it's one of those things, but it's a very interesting um, bit of history. Yeah, I, so, I, didn't, I didn't know that. And I mean, I'm sitting there reading on it real quick. I don't I don't think he tried to join them at any point. They had chats about certain treaties and stuff like that, but I don't see. Yeah. I don't think he ever tried to officially try to join NATO yeah. by any means. Well, floated the idea with them. Either way, it's it's one of those things. You know, we've, we've floated the idea with Ukraine too over the past couple of years. Russia's not been happy about that. No, not at all. Yeah, in 2008, I mean, we had, no. I don't know. I sat there and just read, read through that. That would have been, that was the first time I ever heard of that. Mm. Yeah, I guess I would, there's probably some backroom talks about it. And I don't yeah. see that being not the case, but there's no way that America would want to do that. I don't, I don't know. I don't, what, what, in the year 2000, if what would be America's, like, benefit of not having Russia join NATO? I don't know. To be honest with you, I have no idea. Mm. 
Why, like, why? other than other than hang-ups on the Soviet Union. and yeah, which you know, wasn't really that long ago. No, it was nine years at that yeah, point. It was 91. Man, so, that's kind of crazy. I was, I, was, I was alive in the Soviet Union. Yeah. I feel, I'm the only person in the room. I feel good about that. Man, I, I know. Have you ever been to Berlin? No. When you go to Berlin, it's, it's like that. It's like, this was not long ago. Like, the, the, you're like, oh, wow. Like, it, at least I was born in 96. And when people speak the Soviet Union, you're like, oh, that was World War Two stuff. No, it's no, it's not. It's recent. Like, it's recent. It, it's a crazy thing, man. Like to think that it was, you know, East to West Germany, bloody war. Like, no, all no, this I've, stuff. I've got like, some stuff inside my my shop that's actually from West Germany. Hmm. It's one. It says East. Oh, I have East and West Germany stuff. So it literally says it has to say on the bottom, kind of like when you get something from China or Mexico or whatever. Hmm. It actually says West Germany and East Germany on it. Yeah. It's yeah, man. It, the, the whole situation's insane. I, I don't know where it's going to go, but I think it's going to be difficult. It's going to be really, really difficult. And Ukraine need all NATO members to say yes to them joining too. Which is one Turkey, which we know that's not going to happen. Turkey's not right going to say yes. Yeah, I guess. I guess and really, realistically, and push come to shove, there may be other countries. Probably Germany. No. <laughs> Germany might. Germany, France might be one. Finland might. Finland too. might. Well, Finland right now is not. Finland's not, but they they yeah. are seeking entry. Um, yeah, they'll, they'll they'll have it, but what it, they'll yeah they'll get it. It doesn't really matter. I mean, for God's sakes, was Iceland the part of NATO? Yeah, all two hundred fifty thousand Icelandic. Uh, Iceland doesn't even have a military. For God's sake, you know, so. there's you know one of the one of my things that stuck in my head was I saw a photo of like there was like some bloody hostage situation or something in Iceland, and these like coppers rocked up all blacked out with balaclavas on, and I'm like, hang on, if you've got a total population of a few hundred thousand and a town of a few hundred or a few thousand, you're going to know who that dude is. Like, he's not protected <laughs> identity. That's, oh, that's Rob's son. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there's apparently there's an app in Iceland where you can, like, put in... Like, if you're at a club and you better hook up with someone, you, like, put in your names and it tells you how closely related you are. What? Yeah, because... Look that up. Because everyone there is, like, somewhat related. So you got to... I guess you got to test and adjust your own position and be like, right, well, third cousin's all right. Second's not. Have a look at that. Like Icelandic app. Like related. Related app. Icelandica. Yeah. It's real. Is an idea that only, it's only possible in Iceland where most of the population are descendants from a group of nice century Viking settlers where an online database holds genetical, oh, gene, genealogical, excuse me, details of almost the entire population. My God. Imagine that. Imagine being in a pub. You had to hook up with some chick. And it's like, hey, what's your name? Chuck this in. Like, mm, you're my fifth cousin. It literally That's is. That's all good. Look at this. How does Iceland prevent inbreeding yep. through an online database? My God. Yeah, man. That's hectic. This is this is a whole thing on itself. How my? Oh, I got to see this. Let's see coming to the images. Yeah. I'm going to type in Iceland inbreeding. Oh, my God. Here we go. Yeah, the thing is, if you've seen Icelandic... It's called Bump. If you've seen Icelandic men, they're like all like six, eight and huge. Oh, my God. It's literally called Bump. It's huge. New app prevents Icelanders from from having incest. Mm -hmm. Wow. Hold on a sec. Incest, Iceland. How do we get on this topic? I don't know, but I'm really happy we're there. Iceland, incest in Iceland. Oh, wow. Can't show that on YouTube. No, this this is really turning out to be a... Like, look at these guys. Hell yeah! <laughs> this is crazy, dude. Mm. This is this is this is a. Uh, I can't really show my 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 search results here because it comes up with some some stuff. Yeah, this you, is... you've just you've just popped up on some watch list somewhere. <laughs> there with the there's a really good um, and I'm just gonna plug something here, but there's a really good movie on Netflix called like Eurovision, 
Will Ferrell's like the main guy. It's about Iceland, and it is, I believe, one of the funniest new movies of all time. I have I haven't seen I've seen it on the the playlist. Oh, I just, Will Ferrell and me don't really coexist together. I don't think oh, he's man. not really that funny to me. Yeah, I, I, there's some where he's not. Step Brothers, man. Step Brothers oh, is pretty funny. Oh god. Yeah, but everything else is really. I guess I may well give that one a shot since you said it was good. He kind of looks like you in that, doesn't he? Mm. You kind of look like you could be from from Iceland. Yeah, I could see you on the show Vikings. Have you 100%. seen Icelandic dudes? Yeah, they're I'd huge. be the shortest dude, like three feet. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'd be like the little brother that just like crawl down this tunnel. Oh, okay. God. And like, oh yeah, like, see, this is the thing. If we're like guys, American, Australian guys, whatever, who are like, oh, I'm gonna go to like Iceland or Sweden or Finland and and pick up some like blonde haired, blue eyed, like beautiful girl, and I'm like, everyone thinks that until you go there and you see the dudes. Like, if you're an Icelandic girl, and like I rock up, you're gonna be like, all our men are like six five and models. Like guys think they're gonna do well there, but really don't. Yeah, the, the Icelanders population three hundred seventy one. Three hundred seventy one thousand. And they're all kind of closely related. It's beautiful up there, Bob. Genetic, 62% of the, the gene pool derived from Ireland and Scotland. Okay, well, I went, I went started, started talking about the Ukraine war, ended up in a random-ass country called Iceland, talking about how they, how they date. How they date. And somehow he's talked about Russian gas being in Germany. This is kind of a strange episode, actually, now I think about it. I don't even know what the, the overall topic of this thing was. This is why we bring you on. This is shit talking. I go down a, I go down a lot. I talk on here like I talk at the pub. You talk well. You do. A, you do do a lot of drinking. I just, I just can't believe that you're still sitting inside of my house today. To be honest with you, this guy's supposed to be hopping on a flight in a couple hours. To be honest with you, I need to take him to Waterburger real quick so you mm. can actually try it. Yeah, I've never had that. So I think we're gonna take you to Waterburger. I'm not gonna really eat there. I'm gonna let you have some. Um, That's concerning. I <laughs> Hang on. I, uh, I used to eat at that stuff when I was like 15 years younger. I'd probably eat one or two. Now, I'll just leave it up to guys like you and Charles. Young, strapping, getting it. What do you mean? Yeah, this is strapping. Always. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to eat something else, but I, I'm, I'll gladly take you there. So thank you so no. much to everybody who came over here and listened to us talk for no reason. I uh, hope you guys did enjoy this video. If you guys like him, go check him out. And then if you guys like him as well, he might be back. I have no well, idea. Well, thanks for having me because this is going to yeah. be my last one because I've got to get in a bloody flight. Yeah, but 17 hours. Thanks for having me and thanks for the viewers for loving or hating me either way I'm There's, doesn't, doesn't well, face me day today <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love you guys thank you so much we're up